Welcome to the Eternia Review. Uh, my name is Ben. And I'm Truman. And we're going through and watching some He-Man, giving you guys the down low, diving deep into the secrets of Castle Grayskull. This week, the Dragon's Gift. What's the dragon going to give him? The business. It really is. So we open in the throne room. The whole court is waiting on Prince Adam, who has not shown up. Duncan tries to cover as, oh my God, Randor. Jesus, every time. (laughs) And just remember Randy. Remember Macho Man Randy Savage. Remember Randor the King. Remember Randor the King. Randor in particular is getting impatient with his lazy son and duncan tries to cover stating that adam has government business to attend. yeah it is it's the worst cover he's just like he's busy uh government problems randor's like i am the government what kind of system do you think we have here i'm a totalitarian dictator over this tila like a size that she wouldn't call lady amanda government business <laughs> yeah have we heard of lady amanda before I know. I don't know who Lady Amanda is. Man at arms like shushes her though. What the hell, Duncan? You trying to cover for for the kid that's got like a booty call going on right now? Also, that implies there's like a royal court beyond what we see, right? Like there's ladies in waiting or lords and ladies or whatever. There's some sort of Marseille. How do you say that place in France? Uh, King Louis had court there and like you would distract all the lords and ladies by having everybody at Marseille. Marseille is the place that wasn't Paris. You know what? I'm going to I'm gonna admit something before you, Ben, and before of all of our attorney review listeners. I think in my head, I always pronounce it Marseilles. I mean, that's not the worst I've heard. So this is probably something you can relate to being from Missouri, which is practically Southern Illinois. <laughs> down there, there's a town called Vienna, because that's how you say it down in Southern Illinois. And spelled exactly as the same as Vienna, Austria. Missouri does also have uh, Versailles, which I know is Versailles, so I don't know why. Marseilles doesn't get the same French treatment. Yeah, that one just like flew right over my head. Uh, and then... Um, there's Cairo down there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, spelled, there's another town spelled Haiti, pronounced High Thai. <laughs> no. Is it really pronounced high tide? Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh me and Allison get into it over there's a town off of 74 called Leroy. Well, I call it Leroy because it's L-E space Roy, but it's Leroy. Yeah, so I'm in good company and there's nothing to feel ashamed of. That's the lesson that I got from that conversation. That is the lesson. Yes, absolutely. You are as dumb as everybody else. <laughs> but yes, this does imply that there's some kind of court. Uh, somewhere that Lady Amanda is can be found in. Never heard about anyone else in that court or what they're doing from day to day. Prince Adam likes to hang out with Lady Amanda and make out, probably. Maybe they just smoke weed together and hang out. Who knows? We cut over to Adam, who, coming fresh off of the Lady Amanda conversation, it looks like he's posing for somebody, but he's just like standing on the stairs, like with one leg higher than the other on a higher step, so it looks like he's regally posing, but he's just talking to Cringer. 
Ginger doesn't want to go to court or doesn't want to go to hang out with the king and queen or something for whatever. He doesn't just want to go. Adam tricks him into going by saying there's going to be a fish fry. But I don't think there's a fish fry going on. No, no, that's straight up a lie. But Cringer leaps up, very interested in the fish fry, and they do the whole cartoon whirlwind rolling through the hallways, burst open the door to the court, and then fall flat on their backs in front of uh, Randor and Marlena and everybody. It's very Scooby-Doo. Randor yells briefly at Adam, but now it's time for the ambassador from the kingdom of Eastfin. The guard that announces the, like, I've never seen a guard in that outfit before. It just seems different. Maybe it's like the ceremonial garb or whatever. It did look a lot fancier. On Stars, where I'm watching He-Man, since we still have a subscription from when the last season of Outlander aired, I think. Anyway, on there, this is episode 36. And so when I saw... I still don't know, like, there's the broadcast order and there's the production order, which are different. So I was wondering if this is, you know, they talked about in The Power of Grayskull, the documentary, how they started to get better animators and maybe got a little more intricate. Since this was a 36th episode, which would be about halfway through the first season, a little more. I was wondering if that was a sign of their better animation practice. It could be. They have a more detailed uh, guard costume. Because he does, the guard does have, like, a lot of pins and other shapes on his chest it looks like this is ambassador farron who's totally not skeletor you see as the as farron walks across the throne room kind of in sideways profile uh wearing a brown robe but you can see just the hint of a purple outfit underneath and then for some reason i guess because it's east farron and the writers of He-Man are very susceptible to stereotypes. Mm. Has a big orange uh, Fu Manchu kind of beard. I mean, it looked kind of, I don't know. It reminded me of like an English sort of mustache. It didn't, it didn't read Asian to me. Oh, interesting. Like it felt like a Robin Hood sort of look with long mustaches. I mean, yeah, I could see a Fu Manchu out of it, but like that's where my, so probably because it was red hair. <laughs> But that's where it went to me. And he's wearing a weird hood. The mustaches, though, are at least, I don't know what units of measurement they use, but in American terms, at least like a foot and a half long or something. That's a good question. What what do they use for measurement? That's medieval, so like hands or something? Yeah, that's the old fantasy standby. They actually use hands to measure, like you measure a horse's height in hands still. Like they still do it that way. But that's because nobody but super old nerds like horses <laughs> and teenage girls yeah uh, i was gonna say the also the the ambassador looks similar to uh, i don't know if you've ever read the comic strip in newspapers the phantom no it's just an adventure thing it's it's like pulp and adventure stuff he's sort of, he's been around since like the tarzan days this character and he's had a running comic strip since then basically wow and books and other stuff uh but he wears like a purple outfit this purple leotard basically and he has a black mask that's the guy's costume that's it but it reminded me of that because this they've got the purple hood up with the face and then the mask that whoever this actually is uh <laughs> has like a mask okay spoilers it's skeletor he's wearing a mask <laughs> on his mask 
Uh, they never, I was really excited for this part, but they don't actually show you how it worked because when it comes time to reveal himself, he just does the like magic wavy woo and then it, the mask just disappears from his face. He just like transforms back into Skeletor head. He wanted to like rip it off his head or something and reveal beneath his two masks that it is actually I, Skeletor. Well, sorry, what is the other mask? You mean his skeleton face? He had, no, because he's had a, a person face on with like a little, the little domino mask that covers his eyes. I gotcha. I assume that that was heavy eyeshadow as well or something. <laughs> Some grease paint. Just reading things real weird tonight. Either way, it is suitably fancy for Skeletor. Good show skeletonship. Uh, so before he reveals himself, he presents his gift to the king which is a miniature handcrafted by my very hand of your bust, King Randor. <laughs> uh, you know he was really looking forward to this particular dastardly plan because it meant some arts and crafts time. <laughs> yeah, he worked tirelessly to recreate the likeness of King Randor in what I'm assuming is like the little plastic mold from a zoo because it's like green and the same color but he made it and it looks just like him and here's the thing so mysterious farin goes unveils the gift to king randor king randor is immediately entranced oh yeah by the statue right away I assumed at that point that the evil magic was going to be some just spell like entrancing spell that he fixated on the statue and then bad things happen, something, something, something. We find out very quickly that that is not the magic of the statue. So Man-at-Arms, who had previously remarked, oh, who's Farron? Where is our other normal ambassador, Vorin? And, oh, this Farron looks strangely familiar somehow, finally sees Skeletor's sword sticking out of the cloak of the ambassador which is just poor form on skeletor's part like how could you be that sloppy <laughs> like if you're going through the effort of putting yourself in disguise yourself personally because he had to present it himself obviously he had to see the reaction of how good he did you know he needed that self-reaffirmation he couldn't go put Beastman with this it, it makes sense of course but you should have not taken his sword on his hip it doesn't make any sense. And he's wearing his purple outfit still. You would think you'd have, like, I don't know, Evil Lynn make a better disguise for him and not bring his sword along that he never, ever uses otherwise. I was going to remark on that because it seems like a continuity issue when they have Skeletor use a sword versus the Havoc staff. Because it's not too often. But regardless, it is very sloppy on Skeletor's part. However, Man-at-Arms notices the sword goes to stop king randor from touching the statue grabs the statue out of skeletor's hands and turns to stone the thing that i want to point out here is that the magic of the statue is to turn whoever touches it into stone it is not or they never mention that it is also enchanted to be entrancing and so Randor's reaction to Skeletor's craft ship is pure. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a genuine reaction. He's like amazed that someone could regret something so beautiful. Maybe that's really why Skeletor 
is there himself. He knew that Randor would appreciate it. And wanted to revel in some of the glory. Or, you know, King Randor is just super vain and sees something made of himself and is like, my God, it's beautiful. <laughs> it could also, it could also be that. So Skeletor reveals himself, right? Tila spares a couple seconds to mourn that her father's been turned to crystal and then goes to get a sword to fight Skeletor because there's no time to waste. There's no time to cry, only time to fight. Prince Adam takes this opportunity to go find a hallway to run down so that he can transform secretly into He-Man, which raises the question again, how many disastrous outcomes has He-Man allowed to come to pass because he doesn't just transform immediately to fight Skeletor or whatever? Probably at least a couple. The other thing that I noticed is that Yatila immediately starts fighting Skeletor. Randor waits until Tila is shoved down by Skeletor, defeated in combat, at least momentarily, and shoved aside by Skeletor to call the rest of the guards to help out. You probably trust Tila a lot then, or do you think it's something else? Even if you trust the champion of your guard, if you have the most evil villain in all of Eternia show up in your throne room, I feel like you still try to get them help, as much help as you can. Just some sort of backup. Even if all they're going to do is like the ninja thing where you only fight them one at a time and like, there's a <laughs> bunch of guards like circling around while Tila fights them. Yeah, I guess a, a more charitable read on Randor is that he assumes that if Tila wanted help, she would request it and that people might get in the way of her fighting, which is, yeah, maybe fair. So that their fighting boils down to like whacking sword tips against each other every once in a second and just kind of like grimacing at each other. Yeah, the sword play is not very inspired in Masters of the Universe. Not very good fight choreography. Well, He-Man transforms. So he's out in the hallway. He-Man goes out in the hallway to transform. Uh, Cringer, once again, not into it, tries to run around the corner like, and says out loud, he can't get me over here. If he if he can't see me, he can't transform me, right? And He-Man <laughs> does his transformation thing, points his sword towards Cringer, towards the corner he like ran around, and it literally the zap that transforms him bounces around the corner <laughs> to turn him into Battle Cat. There is no escape for this poor kitty. No, there isn't. I don't think He-Man understands consent in this situation at all. Battle Cat's not he doesn't want well cringer doesn't want to be a part of it yeah and it's it's hard to make the it's for your own good like this is some kind of medicine argument because cringer doesn't get anything out of the experience after transforming back from battle cat yeah he doesn't become a better cat he doesn't grow as a cat <laughs> uh there's nothing he ever says to indicate that he values like the glory of it or the honor of it or whatever. He's just not into it in revelations. I'm sorry. In revelations, <laughs> he is sort of like more on the path. Like when he's convincing and, and trying to get Tila to go on the adventure, he's seems more aware of it or more into the adventure as opposed to just scared all the time. Yeah. Which again, in, revelation 
we see character growth and arcs from people. Cringer, we, we still don't know in that show how long it's been since He-Man disappeared, but it's been some amount of time. And Cringer at the start in the first episode is still very cartoonishly frightened of everything, but has had now something on the order of six months or a year or something to deal with the loss of He-Man and to come to grips with the fact that he has to help in this uh, zany plot to go reunite the elemental swords of whatever, blah, 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 blah. Without being able to turn into Battle Cat, you know? Yeah, exactly. So the other read is that Cringer is playing up how much he dislikes turning into Battle Cat. It's just sort of a ongoing joke. That, uh, that he's into it in a certain way. They have some safe word where if he really doesn't want to do it, he has to say it so that he doesn't get transformed. Yeah, yeah. Papa Lamuse, Papa Lamuse. <laughs> but they don't let the they don't let us as the viewer in on any of that. So it is a pretty weird thing to watch week over week. Tila's fighting Skeletor. The guards are called in. Skeletor uses some kind of levitation power to casually flick the guards back through one of the doors and then uses another power to make a big rock appear to block the door into the throne room. I don't think he's exhibited either of those powers before. Neither of them really mean anything because He-Man and Battlecat immediately burst through the rock and start fighting Skeletor. Let her go, bonehead. That's the line that he-Man says as he walks through the door. Which is also new because I think up until now it would have been Bone Face. They use a lot of face insults, but not a lot of head insults. Yeah, and Bonehead is the more traditional insult, right? So this is steps forward for the show. Yeah, it is actually a workable pun in this case, which makes it best worst joke of the episode because there are not very many. Not a lot. Skeletor fights with He-Man very briefly and says something like, oh, I'll have to find some other way to take over the kingdom, but at least you can just watch your friend be stone forever, mm-hmm. uh, whatever, bye, and then disappears. I think he says something. I have a line here written down. Do you think Skeletor wants He-Man to remember him by the bust he made or the statue of Man-at-Arms? <laughs> think he must have said a parting thing about remember me by this or something yeah and it's got to be the bust that he made which is it still around i don't remember when man-at-arms transforms into the crystal if it disappears or i don't think we see it after that just pretend that randor gets a sweet present out of all of this it's got to go on the mantelpiece you know don't touch it it'll your turn to crystal but <laughs> look at how beautiful it is it is so beautiful randor just stares at it every night before he goes to bed for an hour or two yeah he-Man and Tila take Man-at-Arms carbonite form to the sorceress. You know what they didn't do this episode? Is they didn't have Orko show up for literally five seconds to cast a flotation spell on this literal <laughs> solid rock human sculpture to say, oh, you can carry it over there now. It's not too heavy. And then disappear for the rest of the episode. Because I don't know how they carry that. I guess He-Man's really strong, so it doesn't really matter. But the thing's got to be super heavy. Do you think there's like a continuity meter that they keep track of in the writing room of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. And if they ever get too much continuity, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You gotta throw some hijinks into this. You can't have Orko show up and do something that he did for no reason 
in a second episode for an actual reason. You can only do it for not actual reasons. They bring Man-at-Arms to Castle Grayskull because the Sorceress will know what to do. And the Sorceress channels in, what is it? There's like a mirror of knowledge or something that she is staring at. It says that she has to link with the window of knowledge. The window of knowledge. So it's not her big screen. Or is it her big screen? I don't know if her big screen is like magically portable, but it did seem a lot smaller. And she just says, nah, I don't know what to do. Tila has no chill during this process either. Yeah, she's very worked up about it. She's like yelling at people. Why can't you do anything? Let's do something. This is taking too long. What are you doing? He-Man chides her a couple times for being a bit much. On one hand, this is her father, the only parent that she's ever known when she was rescued from the sorceress hawk nest for some reason, whatever. So it's a it's an emotional time. But on the other hand, is this not, if not a weekly occurrence for someone to get turned into stone or sent back into the past or into the demon dimension or etc.? It's every once every fortnight, maybe. At the minimum, she probably should be used to it by now. I mean, Man at Arms has been frozen before, right? He literally has. But that was when everybody was frozen. She was turned to stone when they had the the animator. What was that thing called? It took the life force out of any, everybody that turned him into statues, and then they put the life energy into the big statue. Yeah, in Colossor Awakes. But yeah, Teal is impatient, and as you said, the sorceress says that the Weird of Crystal, which is the device that Skeletor used to fashion the bust of Randor, or it's the spell that he used. It's not super clear what the Weird of Crystal actually is. Not at all. But whatever it is, it is older than Castle Grayskull. Ancient magic. So the only one who can help with the ancient magic is someone else who is from that time, which be the Dragon of Darksmo. Yeah, Granamir, oldest and wisest of all of the dragons. So knowing that ancient Eternia was before Eternia, so before Grayskull was Praternia and Subterranea, what is the bottom one? If it's before Castle Grayskull, it's before the sword was forged or whatever. This is based off knowledge from Revelation. <laughs> so when they forged the sword, when they made the castle, it they, they like protected the conduit of magic underneath Castle Grayskull, right? That holds the whole entirety of magic together in the universe. So if this is older than that, or was Castle Grayskull built over that that already existed there? Would there be magic older than that? Was that chaos? Or is that like forging a previous universe into a new universe? I mean, I think you're asking too many smart <laughs> questions. But on the other hand, the thing that they do not talk about in revelation (laughs) is whether Eternia came into being before the two halves of the sword were forged together or if that was after the fact so we know that in the big bang Eternia was the first planet that formed in the center of the universe and then separately we know that there were two halves of the sword in Praternia and Subternia that they forged together to anchor the magic to Eternia. But they don't ever specify if it was 
forging the sword together that caused the Big Bang, that caused Eternia to come into being, or if that was an event that happened and then there wasn't any magic and then Praternia and Subternia were like, well, uh, this universe is pretty lame, so let's get some magic going here or something. It's very unclear. You're having way too many smart answers. That would make more sense. So Subternia and Praternia exist post-Eternia, and it's like the levels of whatever above and below. I guess. I mean, it's like a Midgard sort of Nine Realms sort of situation, right? Which actually is linguistically interesting. So in... Like the show, Ternia is a suffix for the prefixes, Ternia being the land or whatever of Eternia. I mean, yeah, it's just the name that they made it sound like Eternia, but uh, Norse mythology is like Midgard, Asgard, uh, other places. <laughs> Hellgard. I think it's just called Hell even though. It's just really like, there's like Niflheim. Yeah. Oh, I played God of War. Okay, so you know. <laughs> uh, Yeah, it's... It is interesting, and I think there's some mirroring, but also pre and sub are not antonyms, so I don't really understand what they were going for there. That's true, because pre is like before chronologically, and sub is like like physically, yeah, under. So, I don't know. They they got a lot of weird mixed metaphors. Uh, the sorceress says, yeah, you should got to talk to the dragons, but I cannot tell you where they are, because reasons reasons being she made an agreement with them that they would leave and she would never tell anybody where they were so tila is ready to give up right she's just like okay well we can't do it now what are we supposed to do and then the sorceress says something cryptic uh about where magic fails human knowledge may yet succeed yep and then uh eats them into a library yeah the sorceress is talking about settling down with a good book so they do a little time-lapse montage, Tila's at a desk, and then the little screen wipe to indicate that time has passed and she's more hunched over. He-Man, though, has finally found a clue, which is that the ice trolls and the dragons are friends. This seems like a weak lead to me. I mean, I guess it's a lead that's as good as any. Like, you go see the trolls to see if they know where the dragons are at. But this is the only lead, and it is where the dragon ends up being. Yeah, we've only got 20 minutes here, Ben. I guess that's true. Fair enough. They pull up another map, which I was excited about, but this one turned out to be kind of boring. There's, you know, the icy mountains in the top. There's some dark mountains. It's got Castle Grayskull and the palace on there and the fertile plains. It's not very detailed beyond that. Sort of a more of a world map rather than an area map like we saw. And the... Uh, text was written on the map as if it were like wrapping around a globe or as if it were cut off because they literally just put a white circle around it and didn't bother to like (laughs) fix the lettering. So maybe this was like a scrapbook that someone made where they cut out a picture from an actual atlas. Yeah. So they're going to take the Wind Raider, fly over the Dark Mountains into the Icy Mountains They're flying along in some blasting snow and ice storm, and suddenly they see a spherical building with what looks like a long walkway crossing a large chasm from another mountain. There's a little throwaway gag where uh, Battlecat's airsick. Yeah, they ask him how he's doing or something. He just makes a face. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. Yeah, that was pretty good. 
but the Wind Raider is stopped by a protective shield. Yeah, and that's what they call it. It's just some wavy energy lines, and they crash. He-Man manages to land it without killing everybody. So they exit the Wind Raider and start walking. And they start riding Battle Cat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, He-Man says, oh, I guess we'll have to walk to see the dragon. Guess what that means. Yeah. Battle Cat's walking. <laughs> and then we see our first hint of the ice trolls. Some shadowy figures on top of a ledge. They cause an avalanche that our heroes escape. They don't cause an avalanche. They leverage the second most powerful tool in the continuum of power in a Ah, yes. Ah, yes. How could I have forgotten? I'm sorry. They shove some rocks. Apparently, Battle Cat and Tila and He-Man are on a cliff, and to avoid the boulders of certain destruction, Battle Cat will have to leap off to safety. So he does. And it works out. Uh, so they managed to land down at the bottom of the chasm. I don't remember like how they just ended up in a different place. Yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, and there's some not yetis. They're called ice hackers or something, but they're yetis. That's what they look like. Huge yellow teeth, claws, roaring. Yeah. They have a brief battle with them. There's some tripping, some stepping out of the way so that the opponent can jump off of a cliff. The fourth most powerful weapon in the continuum of power. Is that a weapon or just one of the most powerful techniques? <laughs> I guess that's maybe it. Which I guess would make it a power, right? If it's an ability you have to do. I don't know. Because it seems like only the heroes know this ancient battle power to step gingerly out of the way as someone charges you. <laughs> I think this is the one instance of the maybe three or four times that we've seen this martial technique at play. <laughs> Where it actually makes sense, because they're on ice. So if you step out of the way, the creature that's charging you could actually conceivably slip and continue forward. All the other cases have been just like step out of the way on stone and the dragon that has wings actually, but forgets, rushes past and then plummets. Yeah. The trolls show themselves again, this time wielding laser blasters. Tila and uh, He-Man complain about being cold before this, but they're wearing loincloths and, you know, a swimsuit. So I don't know why they thought they could make it up here <laughs> in the icy mountains without a parka. It's a great question. Neither He-Man nor Tila dress for the mm-hmm. weather. Battlecat at least has fur, but he is a jungle creature, so you would think you'd be cold too. But then they run into some more trolls who speak human tongue. An interesting, this is actually uh, interesting. So He-Man asked, like they'd say some gobbledygook, like blah, 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 blah. He-Man asked them if they speak uh, the Eternian tongue. And the dude's like, fuck you. I speak troll language. All right. To me, that is Eternian tongue. All right. I, I can speak human tongue too, but hey, man, check yourself. Yeah. Look, rude first. <laughs> Some of us are bilingual, huh, He-Man? Come on. <laughs> the trolls threaten He-Man and Tila. He-Man, does he throw a boulder at some overhanging snow? Yeah, something like that. He manages to like bury them in snow so they can get away. Or does he like chop at it? I don't even remember. He just gets snow to fall on them. And they arrive at two huge doors, which He-Man throws open. Some treasure litters a room just behind. And in the middle is what looks like a steaming pool 
or steaming well or something. The drag or the treasure standing around looks much like a dragon's horde would be. Not quite as impressive as Smog's, but still pretty cool, I guess. And He-Man takes that as a sign and says, well, we're here, so... And then just yells real loud. Yeah. So this huge red dragon bursts out of the pit wearing the goofiest-looking helmet. This <laughs> is a stupid-looking dragon. <laughs> it's like... I don't know what style of helmet you call it, where it's got, like, the it rounded on the top and it flares out towards the neck, kind of... And it has Viking horns or cow horns coming out the side of it, which could or probably aren't this dragon's horns if it's part of the helmet. Yeah. So that means that there was, you know, a cow that big that had the horns that big for the dragon. Paul Bunyan is missing his baby blue. Did you notice that the voice of Grandamir sounds a lot like the dragon from the youth adult, whatever Merlin, young teenage sexy Merlin? Uh, Merlin High School, that show? Yeah, Merlin High School. That sounds like the dragon from that. Not, like, exactly. Yeah, I did not notice that. I mean, I just, I don't want to cast any sort of, like, shade anywhere near Jeremy Irons, like, direction. But it sounds a lot like him. Kind of gravelly, vaguely British. On another note, that reminds me that we haven't brought up the hit NBC miniseries Merlin <laughs> in quite a few episodes. In my notes, where I put, uh... He sounds like the dragon voiced by Jeremy Irons in the Merlin YA show, parentheses, not the Sam Neill Merlin. <laughs> well, at least you're thinking about it. I am. It's there. And this is where the dragon, Granamir, does give He-Man and Tila the gift of some extreme business. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, I, I don't like humans. What are you guys doing here? Like, get out of here. The dragon even winds it up a little bit. He says, oh, He-Man. I heard your name whispered on the whims of legend. And then He-Man cuts in and says, oh, in that case, as if, oh, you've heard of me. So, you know, maybe we can cut this a little shorter. And then Granamir cuts him off. Silence. I didn't say I respected your name. Dragons pay little attention to the lies of the whims of legend. Oh, wow. Yeah, he really cuts He-Man down to size. He just does not. He's just like, whatever. I don't want to deal with it. I don't care about you. Why are you bothering me? I will cast you to the demon dimension. Just like that. That is how powerful I am. He's pretty dragony. This is pretty classic dragon ego right here. Yeah, it does the aloof giant lizard angle pretty well. He-Man mentions that they will fight Granamir if they have to, but they would like his cooperation. Granamir says, dragons do not fight humans. Granimar wins fights or some <laughs> nonsense like that. It's just he wins. Uh, he's real full of himself. I mean, rightfully so. He's older than Castle Grayskull, right? It's true. Granimir wraps them up in yellow, looks like laser lasso technology. And He-Man and Tila struggle against that, apparently prove their bravery. He decides he'll help them out because they've shown courage by struggling against the laser magic lasso so he asks them to get him something in exchange he will help them which is to venture into the forgotten forest and to chop down the sky tree which is the only being that is older than granamir they agree to way too quickly yeah <laughs> it's like oh okay this ancient like mythical tree that there is only one of in the entire Eternia 
that's older than this dragon, which is older than Castle Grayskull, which is just a precious thing. They're just like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Grandamir teleports them to the Forgotten Forest, saying that all they have to do is say his name to get teleported back so that the animators don't have to animate any more traveling nonsense. <laughs> As they arrive in the forest, uh, well, in my notes originally I wrote Leprechaun, but it is even dumber than that. Yeah, we are quickly find out that it is not a Leprechaun. First of all, because it's purple. Second of all, because the correct term is tree precon. <laughs> Which, if it's a tree precon, so it speaks for the trees, why is it purple then? Wouldn't it just be more green or like a brown and green motif? Like, why is it purple? You would think so. No, no, no. It sounds like a terrible Irish accent for whoever's doing it. More like a pirate. It's just a, it's just a bunch of bad choices. So as He-Man and Tila interact with uh, Tolomar, the tree percon, they don't really tell him. They don't tell Tolomar why they're there because they understand correctly that he would take not take kindly to them cutting down the most ancient tree in literally all of the world and also... Probably the universe. Yeah. They cut to Tolomar, the tree percon, doing the bowling boxing fist thing like three separate occasions like the fighting irish for the notre dame mascot right yeah that exact thing Mm -hmm. oh and he says boyo at one point yeah yep he-man and the masters of the universe is a it's a show where all the characters are one note Mm, yes and it reminded me that we haven't talked about um red rising yet because you reminded me of Fickner. We do need to talk about Red Rising. Yeah. Dear listeners, we're going to do an episode on a book called Red Rising in the next amount of whatever time. Because I'm speaking to you from the past <laughs> many, many moons ago. Uh, so when you hear this message, read Red Rising or don't or whatever. Yeah, it was good. Nice personal message. There you go. So in between Tullamore's boxing and bad Irish... He-Man and Tila leap away after the Treeprechan lets them know that the Sky Tree is sort of all around them above their head. Yeah, they ask him where it's at. He just look up, and they look up, and there's a giant tree there. And it has a face. This tree has a face, and they're still willing to chop it down. Tolomar catches up and encants a spell that causes the trees to enclose them. The spell is like, McCormick, McCloggin, McKing... <laughs> I wish I were joking. <laughs> I did not hear the words. I just heard gobbledygook. I didn't pick it out. Jesus, really? Yeah, I usually watch with the subtitles on so I can get those. Uh, yeah, you get you get sweet, sweet, <laughs> awesome details like that. Uh, so the sky tree wakes up. It has a face. It asks them why they're there. It's like, yo, what the fuck? This is some roundabout shit right here. Uh, so the sky tree. Ask them what, what's going on. Tila mentions that her father, Duncan, man-at-arms, is turned to stone, whatever. The Sky Tree knows the name man-at-arms because one such as they have always been in Palace Eternia saving uh, goodness, like keeping goodness safe, and also one of them saved this particular tree from the Witches of Fire a long time ago. So some dude who held the position of man-at-arms 
eons ago, saved the tree. So he's like, yeah, this man at arms is probably a good dude too. I mean, he's not that wrong. He doesn't know anything about him. And they, they, he, they tell him that they, that Granny Mer wants him to chop them down so he can watch them burn. He's just like, I will give up my life for this man at arms. Skytree lays it on kind of thick and says that I, the Skytree, am the soul of all that is green and good, but you can murder me. <laughs> yeah. You know, he gives some, some other spiel about like, you know, I will live on through the trees wherever there are leaves and such as me or whatever. And the Treepercon rightfully is like, no, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> and then finally... I, I was pretty, I was actually on the fence uh, about whether they were going to go for it. It seemed like they were. <laughs> it really did. But He-Man finally says, no, think of what Man-at-Arms would say in this case. He wouldn't want us to murder this fucking tree. <laughs> yeah, this sentient ancient tree probably can live Okay. So He-Man yells out Granamir's name so that they can teleport back. And they lay out that all life is precious, even the life of trees. And they're not going to sacrifice one life to save another one. Person to person, no matter how tree. <laughs> Which is a noble sentiment, but I don't know, He-Man, doesn't it get to be winter in Eternia? And yeah. do you not have fires that you keep warm with? I mean, you have to consume something somehow, sometime. For whatever reason, Granamir is impressed by that or something. He's impressed because He-Man is still willing to honor the bargain and give himself to the demon dimension or whatever. And says, I can't believe that humanity has progressed so far in only a thousand years, which is how long it's been since he's seen a human before. So he decides to give them the magic anyway and not send them to the demon dimension. Which, I mean, cool. Seems easy. Doesn't seem very dragon-like, though. He does at least say, take this book and then fuck off. Don't ever come <laughs> here again. Yeah, he really does. I never want to see a human again. Which, so, okay, so the last scene we cut over to Man-at-Arms, who's uncrystallized. Tila and Adam and Cringer, who are relaxing. Adam jokes that, oh, I wish I could have seen the dragon wink wink asks cringer if they should go off dragon hunting and uh cringer says no tila says oh that might be the wisest thing cringer has ever said or something like that it's a dumb joke they all throw their heads back and laugh like it was the greatest thing they've ever heard yeah so there was a pact by the sorceress and the dragons that the sorceress never reveal the location of the dragons but Granamar does not blink when two humans show up at his house anyway. Yeah, he's not outraged by their presence. No, he's outraged by their presence, but he's not outraged because of some broken agreement or broken whatever. Do you think he forgot? Maybe. And he seems to like be really above all that human bullshit. So maybe he's like made an agreement with the sorceress. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. Just don't don't ever tell anyone where I am. I don't want to ever be bothered. Like, just just go away. And he like fucks off to the icy mountains. And so he never expects to see a human again and doesn't even think about it because he just is beneath him. Or it just comes with the territory of being a dragon with a horde and also ancient knowledge that regardless of how much you try to protect your privacy, you're going to get some adventures making their way to your lair every you know thousand years or so. 
Yeah. So it's more of a less of an absolute. I don't ever want to see humans ever again. And more of like, I have to say that so that it's a preventative measure so that they don't just come, you know, all the time. Yeah. That way every thousand years as opposed to every hundred years, you know, that's just a headache. Got to reset all your magic traps. Probably got to recruit new minions. And sooner or later, you know, someone actually will cut down the tree, you know, and then you won't have anybody anywhere to send them then, you know, give them some sort of fool there and to run over. Yep. Yeah, that's true. So what do you think you learned today, Truman? The value of libraries and a good book. Close. Really? But in a very roundabout way in that (laughs) trees make paper, which make books. Hey, He-Man had to decide whether or not to chop down a tree. Now the trees around you probably don't speak the way that the sky tree did. Or if they do, we haven't learned to hear them yet. Oh, geez. (laughs) (laughs) But trees are living things. And when you respect a tree, you show that you care about all life. Life is a wonderful, precious gift. Learn to enjoy and respect it, and you'll be a happier, better person for it. Mm. Bye for now. This is all from Tila. P.S. By the way. I mean, that's a good moral. But no one was a real tree hugger in this episode. I mean, I guess by the end of it, they're like, okay. This tree, I guess, has a face. Uh, except tree Precon. He is a tree hugger for sure. Yeah. The Irish Lorax. Uh, yeah, basically. Although, really, the only reason they decided to not kill the tree is because it was willing to give itself up. Until it said that, they were still, like, he still had a sword ready to go. Like, I was going to chop him. And then he goes through his whole spiel about, okay, I guess I'll just go ahead, raise up your sword and chop me down. He was still like, well, I guess... Yeah, Skytree had to lay it on pretty thick. Lay on the, like, passive-aggressive guilt machine. I looked up Lady Amanda from the beginning, and it literally is just a throwaway line. So there's an entry for... This is not the He-Man fandom wiki. It's another from He-Man.org. It's just a character entry, but there's no visual representation. Lady Amanda, the heroic Duchess of Leonasia. So it's Leonasia. Leonasia. (laughs) And it really, she's just a throwaway line as a romantic involvement of Prince Adam. And she's a duchess of the city of Leonasia, which is within the kingdom of Eternos. I don't know how they know that about her. Never again. It's the only uh, filmation cartoon appearances is this episode. Huh. Well, that's honestly not unexpected. And the city's got some other random deep dive canon things, but they're from like the comics and stuff. They're from like action figure back things. Oh, gotcha. But yeah, other than that, it's not really a thing in the cartoons. Do you want to know about the city of Leonasia? It's where the air chariots and battle sleds are manufactured. That's it. <laughs> so the city has one job. I mean, it has to do uh, chariot racing there, apparently. So the city is a location where many sky chariots were built and raced. Yeah, so even the places of Eternia are one-note places. Do you think this episode was like a throwaway? Like, all right, I guess we have to have a tree hugger episode about the environment or something. So I guess they don't kill a tree. So as the, what was the episode where the uh, woman took the drug potions? Oh, a friend in need. Yeah. So as in a friend in need was the special, very special drug episode. This is the one about the environment. One of the writers read a new spring before they wrote it. And they're like, well, we got to do something. Yeah. So yeah, you are Mattel working with Funimation to create He-Man to sell toys. They ask Funimation to do two fall runs of 
weekly cartoon sorry every weekday cartoons there's no continuity between any of the episodes yeah what is funimation doing here to like figure out what they want he-man to go do every day they pretty just probably sat there with a chalkboard or a dry erase board and just any ideas they wrote them all down (laughs) they got as many as they could they really stretched for like the last like the 95th and 96th one and just kind of made episodes about them they really stretched for the 95th and 96th and then they had uh 34 more episodes to do after that yeah yeah i believe that was it just different people's jobs to pitch plots i mean they must have they they i mean pretty much all right well what are we having he-man do this week well i don't know skeletor's got to do something he's been you know not really in the last couple episodes all right well i'll have him show up in the beginning what can we sell Although there weren't any new gizmos or new villains in this one. I guess there was Treepercon, but I don't think he got an action figure. <laughs> yeah, maybe the dragon. That would be kind of cool. The dragon probably got one. The dragon probably definitely got an action figure. But yeah, they're like, uh, oh, I had ice cream to for lunch today. Let's send them somewhere cold. You know, I was on a walk and I saw some trees, so. They look really nice. This one looked like it had a face. I think it's interesting that Skeletor literally only showed up to set the plot in motion at the beginning he kind of just like came in shoved the plot forward and then just like left yeah he didn't have a deal with granimar he didn't uh use it as a distraction to get he-man out of the castle and then go take it over which would have been a great plan because now he-man he knows that man-at-arms is taken out and that he-man is busy trying to save man-at-arms and tila's probably busy trying to save man-at-arms so no one's really protecting the king and queen yeah, however, Skeletor has seen how well his sculpture has gone over and is just primed to get back to the crafting table. To He's riding the high of positive reaffirmation. You should have seen his face, Evelyn. <laughs> you could tell he just loved it. Uh, yeah, do you have anything else? I don't think so. So, dear listener... I'd like to try a new experiment. And, you know, Ben and I are not in this for the accolades or the money. You speak for yourself. <laughs> and really, your listening is all that we could ever need or want. But if you happen to know one other person that might also enjoy listening to the attorney review, go ahead and tell him about it. Yeah, I want the money. And then send Ben a check at hello at attorneyreview.com. We'll see you next time on the Attorney Review.